Hello and welcome to another episode in this series Rue by Team Chipinaway where we discuss various aspects of the history of medicine. The modern world has a particular understanding of health and medicine rooted in various eurocentric perspectives and developments and historiography of the history of medicine. Previously we investigated how archaeological remains confirm or speak of various kinds of medical practices and this attests to the possibilities of different cultures in different time periods having their own understanding of health and medicine. As we see even in contemporary times different cultures have different understandings of various institutions and health and well-being which is innately of importance to humans have their own understanding too in this episode we would like to investigate other parallel understandings of health and medicine be it separated in time or in space or situated to particular communities in most of the traditional societies our understanding of health and health seeking behavior the centrality of soul or nourishing the soul is of prime importance and most of the health seeking practices traditions that develop around it center or gear towards how the soul or the inner self can be nourished and can be a best version of itself for a healthier exterior that is the physical self that then eventually facilitates that human being to survive and go about doing daily tasks so there is this parity between what the inner soul reflects on the physicality of the body and vice versa and this inner soul or the inner body is ruh or the spiritual form and hence our series is titled ruh where we start from the inner self go outwards and then go back in so with the eurocentric vision we look at bodies or the physicality of self and in most of the traditional practices that we come across in south asia east asia or even in some parts of europe we start off with the basal element of the soul or the inner self that is not to say that every practice or health seeking behavior is esoteric or deeply connected with spirituality or spiritual thought but there is this understanding that there are two planes of activity that human beings generally operate on and today let us discuss more about how these different planes interact and express in traditional practices since ancient times medieval period and into the modernity I came across an interesting study by Sylvia Marcos in Latin America and she was talking about how the community and health seeking practices are visualized as an organism so the city or the settlement itself is an organism that seeks health or healthy living and each component or the residents or citizens in that community are constituents of that organism so it is a very organic concept of looking at health seeking behavior and community health so inoculation or vaccines for all should be a right to health for everybody for the sake of the organism that is the city or the town itself so that brought to my mind how some of the satellite settlements so to speak in south asia in the ancient and medieval period really operated where you had a designated vaidu the medicine man who used to grab herbs flowers and medicinal components derived from minerals and other sources and he used to provide all of these services including his traditional knowledge about body health and disease alleviation to the community and these clusters of community and community health practitioners 
then would go around from one settlement to the other, parting with their traditional knowledge on health and health-seeking behavior. Some of these references are in the Puranas or in traditional religious and secular literature. But there is a story beyond that, which is how some of these health-seeking behaviors are in tune with the local geography, local ecology, weather, and climatic conditions, and how some of the natural resources found in that particular locale or area are better utilized to suit the health-seeking behavior. So, for instance, some of the native species of flowers and plants found in, for example, Western Ghats would be a mainstay for the medicines prepared in Western Ghats, for example, but would not be a prime constituent for medicines in, let's say, the Plateau region or in the Himalayas, and vice versa. So I wanted to reflect on how all of these things go hand in hand when we talk about the blanket term of traditional medicine. So there is the health-seeking behavior of that community per se, the locale, and the style of living, including their occupational choices that go in hand in hand to make up what we call as health-seeking behavior. While we also have these local narratives towards health-seeking behavior, in some ancient texts which come under the blanket term of the Ayurveda, there were some centralized narratives related to particular healths and diseases that were also more popularly common amongst communities. So while you had these localized expressions of health-seeking behavior based on local climatic regimes, local uh, environmental factors and local occupations, there was also a larger understanding at a more metaphysical level of community health. So the community was both at a local level and at a larger level and we had various rules and regulations trying to tackle challenges to the community, one of which was its health and well-being. So the earliest canonized material on health-seeking behavior can probably be from the Vedas. Some elements from Krishna Yajurveda and some elements or sections from Atharva Ved can be categorized as home remedies or remedies for health-seeking behavior. There are some remedies listed for common problems such as eczema, common cold, and some ailments such as muscle dystrophy. So probably the canonization of what we call as traditional practices can probably be traced back to the Vedic texts. And from there on, we have canonization of some of the local and pan-South Asian practices in various texts. And most of the texts are now categorized under the umbrella of Ayurveda, such as Charak Samhita or Sushrut Samhita. Now, Samhita is a collection of sayings or texts which are then bound together thematically. So the compiler of the text, Sushruta, was credited as the author of the compilation of texts on certain medicinal practices, hence Sushrut Samhita. And in addition to canonization of these practices in Sanskrit texts, there are a plethora of texts in vernacular or local languages that talk about medicinal practices or collecting of specific herbs and trees and tubers and their use for specific ailments, both physical and mental ailments. And as we discussed at the beginning of our discussion today, health is traditionally seen to operate on two planes, that is the spiritual and physical level. So in most of these practices, we see an insight into these two areas of health-seeking behavior, where mental health was as much a part of physical health-seeking behavior. 
true while you have the charaka samhita and the shishtha samhita actually laying out various kinds of instruments and tools that they use to operate on the body at the same time they talk about various other esoteric spiritual and other kinds of practices to appeal to various larger forces to help heal the body very true even in the modern times there are dedicated deities that are worshiped for specific health seeking behaviors for instance there is a dedicated deity manasha who is worshiped to get rid of effect of snake bite or scorpion bite manasha is popular in the coastal regions of india where snakes and scorpions frequent human settlements in addition to that there are some deities who protect people and settlement against the onslaught of wild animals deities such as vagzai who protect against big cats and here the deities are in charge of preventing or protecting people against threat of wild animals or an impending danger even in ancient times they believe prevention is better than cure <laughs> well said and if we talk about deities that are in charge of curing certain ailments after they have happened or in their words attacked certain people we have a plethora of such deities as well and most of the forms of worship for such deities are coupled with magical medicinal practices where medicinal herbs or extracts from tubers plants and flowers are used as a part of worship for the deity as well as something to be given as medicine or supplement to the person who is suffering from certain ailments most of the deities that we know of in modern times were popularized through literature and practices gained popularity during the early part of 17th or 18th century and that is probably also because those were the centuries when the geography and ecology around us was rapidly changing and we were faced with new diseases so there was an epidemic of cholera for example where various deities such as mariai or sitala devi sprung into popularity these deities are in charge of elevating skin diseases such as chickenpox cholera measles and all the allied family of diseases including eczema and in terms of practice or offerings to these deities selections of food and medicines is presented which also helps the patient get rid of eczema and other skin related diseases in addition to that the iconography of these deities is suggestive of what they cure or how they possibly would cure the said disease or ailment For instance if we look at the iconography of Shitala Mata she has donkey as her animal vehicle she holds a winnowing fan and a broom which is again suggestive of what the preventative or curatory practices should be undertaken so with the broom she sweeps off the dust and the muck from a specific settlement or from the area and with the winnowing fan she cools the person who has an outburst of measles or smallpox on their skin there are these oral narratives coupled with the iconographic representations of the deities which lends to a deeper meaning of the practiced traditions in that area or for that specific disease or ailment and these are practices that continue to the present day so for instance there is a temple dedicated to aids amma to help cure people who are suffering from aids and during the pandemic covid mata also became a household name because of the fear that the pandemic brought on to all of us 
Akash, it is interesting that you bring up this topic about perpetuation of these traditions, where some of the deities are newly conceptualized to battle new and upcoming threats and ailments. Actually, there are quite a few interesting stories about plague and how some of the communities, at least in the Kokan area, battled the epidemic of plague. They used to conduct ritual cleaning of the towns, and with the ritual cleaning, they would get rid of all the rats, mice, and other rodentia family, especially when there was a large plague outbreak in Pune and Mumbai during the Bombay presidency period in 1900s. And whether or not that really lessened the chance of plague is again up for discussion. But some of these practices that were instated in the 1900s continue to be practiced as religious forms of community practice in some of these towns in Kokan today. And I was privy to one of these community celebrations of cleaning the town in a ritual form. This also ties back to the traditional idea of health-seeking behavior as a mental construct as well as a physical health-seeking behavior that goes hand in hand. And speaking of that, I can think of some of the other examples in underrepresented communities in the literature or in historical record, where they continue to have their practices of health-seeking, which continue to utilize local medicines, medicine men, and traditional knowledge to elevate some of the common ailments such as fever, flu, whooping cough, or even some larger elements such as muscle dystrophy, just based on their traditional knowledge of bone setting, using available herbs and flowers and things like that. And in most cases, if not all, most of the elements, including the plants and animals used for these medicines, are deified to some extent, in addition to the oral narratives that they come with. And we see some of the representation in art as well, such as fur painting or gond painting or even in Varli art, where some of these health-seeking practices are represented or codified in art. So in some of my field surveys and studies that I conducted for specifically to understand more about the deities worshipped as deities of diseases, I came across interesting data as to how some of the elements or fear itself is deified and then worshipped through magical medicinal practices. And once it is codified as a religious practice, it gets adopted by the local community as a part of their daily life or a periodic ritual. And that then intertwines with their health-seeking behavior. So for instance, in two of the towns that I surveyed along the Western Ghats in India, they have a ritual of ingesting raw salt, which is not processed or polished. So whether or not they are aware of iodine content in the salt, but because of that, the population in those two villages has never had any complaints about iodine deficiency or thyroid or things like that. So it was an interesting insight into how some of the rituals have this background of health-seeking behavior and how some of these traditions or observances came about is shrouded in mystery. But it is interesting to see the intertwining of roh, the spiritual form or spiritual plane of sanity-seeking behavior and physical health-seeking behavior. Behavior part of it. 
So as we can see in any community, as the health requires both the physical and the mental components, the juxtaposition with modern medicine highlights and sometimes paints some of these traditional practices as being superstitious and or ritualistic without any empirical evidences. While we cannot always justify most practices, the fact that you know some of these practices provide mental peace and as a viable coping mechanism cannot be under and cannot be underrepresented. So while traditional health-seeking behaviors have their space, so does our modern understanding of science and medicine and health. So while one cannot be all-encompassing for a holistic health of an individual, all these elements contribute towards the community and their understanding of health and well-being. And also a few studies show and some of my fieldwork also is indicative of the fact that some of the traditional practices are conveniently categorized as superstitious, regressive, or even forms of black magic, solely based on the gaze through which they are viewed. So for instance, some of the practices during the colonial period were categorized as illegal or unsanitary or unaccepted, continued to have that bad representation or ill representation into the modern period. So there is a real need to reassess what we categorize as unjustified and justified in our own eyes with the modern understanding. And with the institutionalization of health and medicine, we need to also be wary about who the individuals and the systems that are guiding and recording what is health-seeking behavior. And hopefully through the study of the historiography of the history of medicine, this gives us context and connotations that will help all of us to be more informed, consensuous populations while we undertake health-seeking behavior. On that note, join us next time for another investigation into another aspect of the history of health in South Asia. Bye! This podcast series is the result of a foundation project implemented by the India Foundation for the Arts under its Archives and Museums program in collaboration with the SL Bhatia History of Medicine Museum, Library and Archives with part support from the Parijat Foundation.